All right, so today we're in Lesson 17. We're going to look again. Paul's expanding what he means by verse 21 of chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, look with me at verse 21 of chapter 5. He's saying, again, verse 21 is part of one long sentence where it starts back in verse 18. The one long sentence is that you be filled with the Spirit of God. And so he's saying as a result of that, you're going to submit to one another. So then what he does then is the rest of chapter 5, he talks about the issue of submission. What does that mean with regards to marriage? Now we're getting into chapter 6, where he specifically is going to be looking at two more areas, the issue of family with regards to parent-child, and the issue of slave and master. What does submission mean there? So let's talk first of all about the key to this passage. I've already mentioned it briefly to you. The key to this passage is this. The spirit-filled life is the key to the relationship with children and slaves. The key to you understanding what we're talking about is, is verse 18, be filled with the spirit. Now again, you can write, instead of spirit-filled, you could say spirit-controlled. That's really what the issue is is that you are controlled by the Spirit. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I, I had an interesting discussion this week with someone, and they were kind of confused, and, and it's possible that you're confused here. When we talk about Spirit-controlled, we are not talking about that you give up your ability to make decisions, that all of a sudden you just become a puppet in God's hands. Because this person was under the assumption that if I'm spirit-controlled, he's going to keep me from doing wrong. That is not true. That is not true at all. God does not, quote, take away your choice to do something. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that's why, in this very same book, he'll talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. Because it's possible that you are spirit-controlled, but that you do something wrong, and you what? You grieve the Holy Spirit. Sinning grieves the Holy Spirit. So when you talk about being spirit-controlled, you're not talking about that it's going to keep you from sin, from making wrong decisions and so forth. But the issue is, is that you're wanting the Spirit to control you, to guide you in what you're doing. Does everybody understand? So the key to understanding, specifically with reference to family, and with reference to slaves and masters, he's talking about the issue of spirit control. Now, before we get into this, you're saying, wow, let's, let's, help me to understand that a little bit better. Well, let me explain something to you. In the Roman culture of that day, society was broken down into three basic institutions. There was marriage, there was family, and then there was slave-master. Family, excuse me, marriage, family, slave, master. So Paul's addressing each one of these issues here. Now let's get to the whole issue of slave, master, because you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, we might as well forget that section because there's no application there for us today because we don't have any slaves. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment because I want you to understand something. What you consider, in our mindset as Americans, we think in terms of slavery with, with, rep, with reference to slavery in our country back in the 1800s. Actually, from the 1600s up to the 1800s. So, we're going to talk about what, 
what what it means here as far as slaves and stuff. Because it may be that you are a slave and you don't realize it. Some of you think you are. But we'll see what it says here. So let's first talk, talk about the issue for family. Instructions for children. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. That you may be, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Okay, so let's first of all, here's the command. Children are to be obedient to their parents. Again, I want you to notice the difference here. With reference to husbands and wives, he told wives to be submissive, which is not the same thing as obedience because he's not using the same word there. This is a different word. Obedience means obedience. It means to obey what your parents are saying. This is what Paul is saying. So children are to be obedient to their parents in the Lord. Now, for this is right. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Let me say what this command does not mean. This command does not apply to married couples. How many of you have ever met somebody where they want, I mean, and this happens in Christian circles. I remember, I distinctly remember a gentleman. His children were gone now. His one son was married, and he still wanted his son to obey everything that he said, and he would quote this verse. That they were to be obedient. How many? How many? So you've you've got kids are grown up now. I mean the kids. I mean the kids could even have kids. And dad feels he's the patriarch now, and he's that that everybody else should listen to him. And be obedient to what he says. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have seen that kind of situation? There's a problem here. The problem is that that's not biblical. Because there's another thing that supersedes that. What do you mean? Well, I think the reference is in your workbook there. It's Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Listen, listen to what Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says there. Therefore, a man shall leave, what? His father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So what supersedes that command of obedience to your parents is, is if you get married, you become a whole different entity now. And it doesn't mean you don't listen to what your parents say or you don't honor them. I mean, you're still supposed to honor them. It doesn't mean that you're to be obedient to them. In fact, I would say if somebody's like that, they're in their 70s and they expect their children who are in their 40s to listen to everything they got to say, there's a problem. You know, do you know what I'm saying? There's a problem. The Bible's not calling you to do that. In fact, dad at 40 should be guiding his children. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's not a patriarchal thing going on here. Although we see that... Oftentimes, can I tell you where we see it oftentimes? In Christian circles. You've got to take Scripture with Scripture. So the Scripture in Genesis says that when you marry, you leave. So the point is, is this command does not apply to married couples. Alright? Now, here's the manner. They are to obey as one who seeks to please the Lord. 
They're to obey as one who seeks to please the Lord. So it's an issue, when you were talking about obedience, again, remember I told you that marriage is tied to our relationship with God? The obedience of your child is tied to their relationship with God. So they're going to be obedient to their parents if they're under their parents' authority because that affects their relationship with God. Does everybody understand that? So they're going to seek to please the Lord by being obedient. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I'm, I'm old enough now. I can say this, 45. I didn't agree with everything my mom and dad said. But that's really not the issue. Do you know what I'm saying? Because they're the ones who are what? Given the responsibility to take care of me. Now, there's a lot of times where I didn't disagree with my dad, but when I got in my 20s, I realized... Dad wasn't dumb. Dad was protecting me. It's like there was a rule in my house where we had to be in home presenting ourselves to him at 11 o'clock at night on the weekend. I hated it. I was like, all my buddies are out. And Dad would say, ain't nothing open after 11. Back then, McDonald's wasn't even open, Okay. There ain't nothing open after 11. All you're going to do is get in trouble. He's right. But when you're a teenager, you don't think that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the reality is, is that the issue isn't whether they're right or wrong. The issue is, did they say it? They're the ones who are in authority and charge. And if I'm going to be doing something pleasing to the Lord... You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be obedient to them. Now, here's the reason. Here's the reason why. I mean, it's pretty simple. Paul says, here's the reason why they need to be obedient. It is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Now, here's the thing. I don't need the Bible to tell me it's the right thing to do. It's already ingrained in us. You know what I mean by that? It's one of those general conscience things that we're talking about in Romans chapter 1, where there's a general conscience of knowing what's right and wrong. And every one of us, whether you've been exposed to Christianity or not, knows that it is right for a child to listen to their what? Because have you been to Walmart? And you've seen the child not listening, and they're screaming, and they're on the floor. I would throw myself on the floor, but it's hard. I mean, ah! You know... And what do you immediately, you, you, you immediately look at that and you say, boy, glad they're not mine. Or if they were mine, you know. I mean, and you immediately, inside of you, wells up, this is wrong. Because I, there's a natural order to things. You understand what I'm saying? There's a natural order to things. It's the right thing to do. Now, here's the basis. Why is it the right thing to do? The basis of it is, it's a part of honoring your parents as God commanded. It's a part of honoring your parents as God commanded. In fact, that's what he's quoting in verse 2 there. He's quoting the commandment, the first commandment with a promise, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. It's part of the Decalogue. It's part of the Ten Commandments. It has a promise. Now, what's the promise? I think it's interesting because... Actually, I think there's an instruction here because, you know, 
a lot of times when they get older, the kids are going to say to you, well, why? Don't they do that? Remember when they were smaller, it was a lot easier because you could just say, don't do it. Okay. When they get older, why? They argue with you. And, 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 and it, can I bet it doesn't work because I said so. Does that work? Didn't work with you. Here's the reason why. He's going to tell you why. Why they need to be obedient. It's, it's pretty general, but I think it's pretty significant. Here's what he's saying. Obedience brings stability and longevity in one's life. Look at what he says there. That it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. I think it's pretty good to say to them, you know what, I don't want you doing this because whether you realize it or not, I'm considering you and your whole person. I'm considering your character. I'm considering what, this, what does this mean later on down the road. For some of you it may be, I'm concerned that if you do this, you're going to get hurt. You're going to... It's, and, and listen, trust me, even if you say that, they're not necessarily going to listen to you. I mean, you don't get worried about your physical well-being until you get older. Have you noticed that? You don't. So, I mean, but the reality is, is obedience brings stability and longevity in one's life. In fact, can I be honest with you? If you go, here's a, there's a great parallel book in the Old Testament. It's called the book of Proverbs. And over and over and over, it is the admonition of the father, Solomon, to his son, listen to what I'm saying. If you listen to what I'm saying, and if you're obedient, if you stay away from these kind of folks, and if you stay away from this, it will be well with you. You will have long life. Your health will be okay. You will prosper. But listen to me. This is echoing what it's saying there in Proverbs. So the other point of it is, is this. This stability is a result of self-discipline which comes from obedience. Listen, the reason why we give rules, the reason why we discipline, the reason why you should be instructing your children is because you're, you are molding them for what later on? You're molding their character into who they're becoming. Can I be honest with you? The issue of discipline is not your convenience right now. Does everybody understand me? When you're raising your kids, the issue of discipline is not for your convenience right now. Because sometimes it can be convenient. Oh, just go to your room and be quiet. I've had a rough day today. I've got my head throbbing. and Oh, please be quiet. Pick up the Legos. My feet can't take it anymore. You know? I mean, it's not an issue of convenience. The ultimate goal of all discipline and instruction in the home is what? The molding of their character. Who they're going to become. What kind of person are they going to be? And believe me, folks, it goes quick, doesn't it? You know, I just realized with my oldest, she's entering into her second year at high school. Dude, three more years, she's going away to college. Wow. Some of you have already been there, right? Yeah, it's, it's gone, it goes quick now, doesn't it? And the time which you have to mold them is what? Short. Short. But, you know what I'm saying? So, the stability results from self-discipline that comes from obedience.
So now, okay, so you're saying, oh boy, why are you telling us this? Let's bring my kids out here and you tell them that. We'll try to teach them that as well. Okay, but here's some instructions for you, parents. Look with me at verse 4. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. First of all, there's a negative command there. There's a negative command. He's telling you not to do a particular thing, which is pretty easy. And here's what it is. Parents are not to exasperate their children with unrealistic demands. See, here's the problem. We want them to be obedient. We want to mold their character because we understand if they're obedient and as they grow in their character, it's going to be best for them. But the problem is, is that dad or mom, you could be a problem to them. Because the problem is, is you could be provoking them. And I've seen this too. A lot of us have seen this, haven't we? Where the parent provokes the child by making literally unrealistic demands upon them. Or uncommunicated demands. That will exasperate a child as well. When you start disciplining them for uncommunicated expectations that they had no clue about, but only you knew, and you're just keeping them under your thumb or whatever. I'm going to be honest with you. What that's going to spark, listen to me, is rebellion. It's going to spark rebellion. They're going to lash out. So the negative command to the parents is, okay, it's wonderful that we want them all to hear this, but listen to, think about how you are being as a parent. Are your, are your demands unrealistic? In fact, let's be honest, folks, all of us suffer from this, because I'm just thinking right now. It's like the Holy Spirit saying to me, that's great for you to teach that, George, but what about this in your life? Okay. Because the reality is, is that we all can fall into it, can't we? So we've got to be conscious of the demands that we're putting on our children. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they could be unrealistic, and what's going to happen is, is we're going to provoke them to rebellion. And, and, and guess what? Why do you think they call the teenage years the rebellious years? Because, again, the hormonal changes that are going on in their life are tremendous. Aren't you glad we're over that? So the hormonal changes are going on in their life are tremendous, and 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 they got growth spurts going on in their life. I mean, Foster, holy cow! I mean, he's big, he's taller than me now, bigger foot. And I was looking at a picture from him a year ago. That's gotta hurt when you grow that big that fast. Do you know what I'm saying? This is something. Do you know what I'm saying? That's gotta tire you out. Do you know what I'm saying? There's all that stuff going on in their lives. And then we throw on these big demands and expect them to act like they're five-year-olds again? It's going to happen. We're exasperating them. We're not to do that, Paul tells us. But here's the positive command. Parents are to guide the spiritual growth of their children. Parents are to guide the spiritual growth of their children. I, I, you know, I'll... I'll just be honest with you. My, 
my whole uh, interaction with my two older ones has changed than with my two younger ones. I actually find that when I go out with my two older ones now, when it's just them in the car and I, we talk a lot about them and who they're becoming and the Lord and because why? Because I'm my role is to guide them into their spiritual growth because I realize the time's short. I gotta mold their character. You understand? I'm not there to put unusual demands upon them. I'm there to talk with them. I mean, when they fail, I need to talk to them about the failure and say, look, this is what it means for your life. Now, I'm not perfect either. But that's what we should be striving for. Now, here's the key again. The key again for me to be that kind of parent is what? Let's go back to verse 18, chapter 5. What? Spirit-controlled. Being in a right relationship with God. Do you understand? When we talk about this stuff about a child, we talk about what we should be doing as a parent. The key, listen to me, the key is is that I am spirit-controlled. That I'm spirit-filled. Then he'll help me. He'll guide me through that. Okay, the next thing we're going to look at is verses 5 through 8. We're going to look at the instructions to slaves. Now, let me just stop for a because I need to explain this to you, because you're thinking, okay, yeah, George, wow. We don't have any slaves around here. Well, let me explain to you what slavery was in their era. Slavery in the Roman era was different from our concept of slavery, which is based upon our nation's history. Roman slaves were actually, can I be honest with you, three-quarters of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Do you realize that? So when you think about the Roman Empire, very few people were freed. Very few people were citizens. In fact, do you remember? Just think back to in, in Acts when, when Paul is taken in Jerusalem by the Romans because the Jews are getting ready to kill him. The Roman centurion is talking with him and, and Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. And the, immediately, the, the, that's a big thing because you've got to be treated a different way when you're a Roman citizen. The commander says, how are you a Roman citizen? I pay for my citizenship. And Paul said, by birth. Roman citizen by birth. So, very few people were Roman citizens. Very few people were freed. Most of the population, most of the world was a slave. You understand? So they were slaves. Now, here's the interesting thing about slaves in that day. Slaves could, Roman slaves could hold property and conduct business. Some even owned other slaves. Isn't that interesting? Our closest association to this passage today in our culture is employer and employee. It is. The closest association to understanding slavery in that day is just look at the work situation today. And those of you who work for somebody say, I feel like a slave. Right? Right? Well, if there's similarities... The structure's a little bit different. It's not the kind of slavery that we're thinking about with reference to back in the history of our nation, but it was a different kind of slavery. 
So, the, so really what we're talking about here, if we're going to make the application, is really between employers and employees. So again, let me just guide you through this. This is based upon what key? Spirit control. Let's talk about the issue of obedience here to your master. Paul, let's, let's read it first of all. Look with me at verses uh, 5 through 8. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, with sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not in eye service as man pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Okay, here's what I want you to see. First of all, we're to be obedient to our masters with the issue of respect. Paul tells them to serve their masters with respect. You say, well, my passage uses the word fear. Well, let me explain to you what the word fear here. The word fear here means respect. So you need to respect your boss. Whether I mean, And I understand. Remember, we used the illustration a few weeks ago about the military and the chain of command in the military. And if you talk to most guys in the military, they don't respect the dude who's over them, but they respect him because of the rank he has, not because of the character of who he is. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is kind of the same thing here. You're to respect your, you know, your, the guy over you because he's over you, not because of who he is, because he could be a total schmuck. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reality is, is that you're, you're, the word means that you're to respect them. So the Bible's calling you to respect them. Here's what it's saying. Paul tells, tells them to serve with the recognition of the master's authority. That's really what it's talking about here, with fear. You're to, to recognize their authority. You're to serve with, Paul tells them to serve with the recognition of their master's authority. And then here, verse 5 says this, the last part of verse 5, Paul tells them to be sincere in their service. Do Just be sincere, do the good job, period. Doesn't matter who it is. Just do a good job. Do your best. Now why? Look with me, because it's the will of God. Look with me at verse 6. First of all, not with eye service as man-pleasers. Let's back up there. We need to stop for a moment. The reason why I'm doing my job is, I think this is interesting, because all of us have worked with people who were man-pleasers. There's another term for it. We won't discuss that here. Okay? Do you you understand what I'm saying? How many of you like that kind of person at work? How many of you despise that kind of person at work? Let's let's be honest. I despise that kind of person at work. Okay? So I'm going to do my job. I'm going to be sincere. That's what he's talking about here. Now, why am I going to do it? Well, here. Here's the reason why. Paul reminds them that they belong to God. Ultimately, you belong to God. You don't belong to the company. You're there working at the company. But ultimately, who puts you in the company? 
you know, I, I think back, you know, I haven't always pastored. There have been times I've worked and there were jobs that I loved. There were jobs that I hated. And there were jobs when I was working that I struggled with it until I came to a place of recognizing, you know what, God, you're in control of my life. You put me here. Help me. It's, it's the issue, bottom line issue is, is that you belong, he reminds them that they belong to God. Now here's the other one. Paul tells them that their service is God's will. Look at, but as bond servants of Christ, that's who they belong to, doing the will of God from the heart. It's God's will for you to be where you're at. I mean, I know, some of you, I know you hate where you're at, and if there was something else that opened up, you'd be gone. That's only natural. If they paid you the same rate. You'd be gone. But God has you there for a reason. Now let's stop for a moment. We've got to get a bigger picture because what happens is, I think this is a good place for us to stop and talk about this for a moment. We've got to get a bigger picture because the reality is, you're there more than just to put in time for that company and draw the paycheck and do what that boss is telling you to do. You might be there for somebody else. Do you know what I'm saying? Or somebody's else. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, when we're focused, we're thinking about, oh, I hate this job, I hate this job, I hate this boss, I, hate, I can't wait to get out of here. The reality is that there are other people around you working with you, aren't there? Unless you're cloistered away in some office where they just put it, slip a slip a tray of food under the, the door and, you know, until you're let off, you're going to have contact with somebody else, right? It's the will of God for you to be where you're at. In fact, I want you to write this down. Divine appointments. Divine appointments. You were appointed to be where you're at divinely. God has you there for a reason. It's the will of God. So you worked for Him. The boss may be terrible. Ah, that's life. But you do what you need to do because you're working for Jesus. You belong to Him. And it's God's will because there are others there. And here's what we're doing. Paul reminds them that they are serving God, not man. Listen to me. Every one of you, you're serving God where you're at, not man. See, so what we've done in the church is this. We've reduced service down to, well, you know, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a... That's the only way you can serve God. No. You're God's servant wherever you are. You might be a bricklayer. You're God's servant. You might be a pencil pusher. You're God's servant. You're God's servant where you're there. You have a question, Bill. Yeah, you're supposed to let, yeah, that's, Jesus talks about let your light shine before men. You're supposed to let your life shine before others. Yes. Yeah, now, we don't want to over-spiritualize that. You're there. What we're doing is we're talking about a frame of reference and a perspective with reference to where you are at. You understand? Because remember, we're talking about slaves, and the slave can be like, hmm. No, he's saying ultimately let the motivation be while you're there in that job, while you're holding that position, is that ultimately, yeah, you're, you're going to honor him, you're going to serve him because of his authority, but ultimately you're serving God where you're at. It's his will that you're there. 
It's bringing everything back around that God is the one who's in control of your life. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Look at verse 8. We're going to see what the result is. The result is, is our reward in heaven is based upon our service here. Everybody knows about, you know, when you check with a job, it's like, what's their pension plan? What's their, four, what's their 401k? You know, because you're thinking about retirement. That what, what, What's my service going to do for my retirement later? Well, this is the ultimate retirement. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because how you are where you are will be rewarded later. See, that'll, that'll change your perspective, doesn't it? That'll change your perspective. Now, again, it isn't just for the slaves here. He's got some, he's got some instructions for the masters as well. So look with me at verse 9. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So there's three things I want you to see. First of all, Paul tells masters to treat their slaves in the same way. You treat them with respect. They ain't your flunky. Do you understand? You treat them with respect. Now, he's, let me just stop for a moment. Don't go to work and say, well, the Bible tells you to treat me with respect. First of all, he may not be a Christian, so that's not going to get you very far. But if he is a Christian, you need to pray for him. Sadly, can I be honest with you, pastoring? Not everybody who calls himself a Christian is a Christian. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes the most unscrupulous are Christians, aren't they? I hate to say that. That's sometimes true. So the issue is, is that if you're going to treat people under you, Paul tells them to treat their slaves in the same way. You treat them with respect. Here's the other thing. He tells them to give up threatening. Tells them to give up threatening and begin to act fairly. Some of us have had bosses like this, haven't we? Huh? I understand discipline, but I think some of us have had bosses that when we're over the top, though, Bruce. Do you understand? It's one thing to say, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to have to write you up, blah, blah, blah. That's a little bit different. But I think some of us have lived with people that they're constantly, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? There's a little bit of a difference. Okay? The point is, is he's telling them to give up and to begin to act fairly. So can I be honest with you? Look at what it says there. Look at verse 9. I think it will help you. Give up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. So the perspective is, is that the type of threatening is unfair. Because he's wanting the person who's, who's the master to realize you need to be aware that there's somebody else over you. And you're accountable to somebody else. So you're accountable in your treatment of the people under you. Do you understand? So then here's what he's saying. Here's the other thing he's telling the, the master. He reminds them that they must answer to God too. You're not exempt in God's economy. I'm the boss here. I'm the owner. I can do whatever. No, you're not. You're God's servant. You answer to him. Do you you understand what I'm saying? And notice what it says here. 
there is no partiality with him. He's not partial to, to the owner, to the boss. There's no partiality. He treats everybody fairly. Isn't that awesome? You know, one of the things I think that's going to be so dramatic about the coming judgment is he sets everything right. So, Christian, be patient. Do you know what I'm saying? You've got to be patient. We expect things to be set right right now. It's going to happen. Ultimate setting of things right comes when Jesus comes back, and he will. And here's one. Who would you rather have judge your situation? A human being or God who's not partial? Do you know what I'm saying? So, okay, next week, we're going to finish up. We're going to get into Lesson 18. Next week, we're going to be looking at the whole issue of spiritual warfare. Okay? Well, let's close our time in prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service. Okay?